Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You were looking at me. You were looking at me. Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and I'll be joined in just a few moments by Mark Healy from Gotham Baseball. Uh, Mark's been uh, following the Mets for uh, quite some time, and uh, he's, not, uh, he's not shy. He's got opinions, so uh, uh, that's great for a uh, podcast. So, Mark, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Uh, that's one of the nicest intros I've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you know, um, let, let's not pull punches. 2017 has been a real disappointing season so far for the Mets, and obviously there's a bunch of uh, contributing factors to that, and I want to know what do you think is the one biggest reason for this year's debacle? Well, look, I said this in January at the Queens Baseball Convention, so it's not hindsight being 2020 for me. I think the, the offseason, it was a terrible offseason. Uh, I don't think that they improved the team. I don't think they upgraded the team. I certainly don't think that they um, – I, I certainly don't think that they looked at what they had and thought that, you know, the bullpen – you know, they talk about that they had seven deep with pitchers with Gazelman and Lugo, but then when you look at the starters, you know, four of the five guys were coming off surgery and the fifth had bone spurs all year and then had an off-season where he gained 17 pounds eating the bowl of doom. So, you know, this idea that um, they didn't have – and you look at their AAA rotation. I mean, I know we see Tyler Pill, uh, you know, pitching tonight. You know, they, they really didn't plan well. They didn't, they didn't get enough depth in the bullpen. Joe Smith was out there for the taking, and they certainly were familiar with him. Uh, you know, guys in the organization that are still around certainly knew what Joe Smith could add to a bullpen. Yes, he was coming off a bad year, but he didn't cost that much money. He wasn't looking to close. Um, you know, there were other guys that were available uh, that the Mets could have gotten. And, again, I'm not a GM. I don't get paid to make those decisions. But, you know, I was asking those questions in January, and – when the injury started coming, Brian, you know, we saw what happened. You know, they weren't prepared uh, at AAA to have bring any depth up. They let Lugo pitch in the Winter Baseball Classic. Don't get me started on that idiocy. Um, and I just think that there was this feeling that, you know, they, they, they thought that injuries was the problem last year, and when they recovered and played well and made it to the play-in game, uh, that all their problems were solved. So I think that poor planning, um, I think, is one of the biggest reasons why they struggle have struggled so much this year. 
I didn't mind the off season. I, I thought the off season was okay. The part that that really got me is once that they knew that both Mats and and Lugo were not going to be ready to go. They should have been looking for the depth starter to stash away at, at AAA, and they just didn't have that. You know, maybe they were counting on uh, Adam Wilk and Rafael Montero, but that was a, a really poor decision if that was the case. And there were names out there. Um, I think that uh, everyone was uh, focusing on Doug Fister, but there were other pitchers out there uh, available as well who didn't get the the off-season contract that maybe they wanted. And I think the Mets should have been at the beginning of the year when they knew those two guys were on the DL. They should have been stockpiling somebody better than what they had at AAA. Uh, I, I agree. I agree with that. I, I just think they could have been even more proactive than that. I think this was supposed to be the quote-unquote all-in year, you know, and they certainly didn't act it in the in the, in the off season. That's just that's just my own, you know. I, I I like I said, I felt that way at the Queens Baseball Convention when I had the round table with Evan Roberts and Pete McCarthy and Adam Rubin and Matt Cerrone, you know. You know, my big thing was is that I didn't think they were World Series contender based on their off season. So, you know, again, it's not it's not hindsight being twenty twenty for me. I thought this team was going to have its issues going into the season. All right, well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about something that maybe is not so depressing. And one of the most encouraging things for me in in this month has been the turnaround by Jacob DeGrom, who's pitched really well in his last two outings. Do you see anything differently from him, uh, what he showed uh, against uh, the Cubs in Washington his last two times out? You know, I think that DeGrom is hardest on himself. He reminds me, you know, it's funny, no one will agree with me on this, but he actually reminds me of David Cohn um, in a lot of ways. Um, He's feisty. Um, he's looked at as a ver- veteran leader. Uh, he's not the spokesperson that Cohn was, but he is a guy that wants the ball. He wants to, you know, do his best, and he's accountable. You know, when when he doesn't pitch well, you know, he's at his locker. You know, he's talking to the writers. He's he's taking uh, ownership of not pitching well, and I think that you know Degrom has been through the grinder. Uh, certainly uh, in, through his career and has been, uh, you know, has suffered ups and downs. He's seen winning. He's seen losing. Um, I think the biggest difference is that he's just, his location is better. I don't think there's really any other difference. You know, uh, he's always been consistent. His velocity has been consistent pretty much all year. It's just a matter of location, you know. I mean, it's, it's. I, I think that, the, you know, I, I had a conversation, um, a Twitter conversation with somebody tonight and that, um, you know, we talk about exit velocity and we talk about, you know, trajectory and all these things. And, you know, I, I just hearkened back to, uh, you know, the, you know, the movie Major League where they're like, you know, it's too high, it's too hard. And the guy's like, well, who gives a bleep? It's gone. <laughs> you know, like baseball is being turned into physics 101 and chemistry class. And, you know, sometimes it's just about hitting your spots sometimes about it's just about seeing the ball better and i think that if if i had to break it down i'm sure somebody out there one of my saber magician friends as i like to call them and i say that with a little due respect um i i do think that you know it just gets to the point where 
you know, you you you're just the ball feels better in your hand. You know, you're you 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 know you're you're seeing you know what what your catcher wants to do, uh, and that's the other thing too. You know, the Mets catching situation is a disaster. Uh, that's one of the places I wanted them to upgrade. Uh, you know, over the course of last season, I wanted them to upgrade in the off season, and it didn't happen. Um, I, I just think it's very simply. I think his location's better, and I think that you know, still he's a guy who's coming off surgery. So to expect him to be automatic, uh, or to expect Harvey to be automatic, or any of these guys that came off surgery last year. You know, it's a process. Your arm goes through. I mean, I pitched, I mean, you know, albeit at the high school level, but, you know, your arm feels different every day, even if you're healthy. You know, I mean, I can't imagine what it feels like coming off, you know, major arm surgery. So I think at the end of the day, he's just, he's just, you know, his location's better. He's more comfortable. He's getting into the groove. And hopefully this is the guy we see for the rest of the season. Well, I agree with that last thing, and hopefully he's the guy we see for the rest of the season. It's really tough to um, make any kind of generalizations after just two starts, but if you look at the results from those two starts, his strikeouts are way down, and his home runs allowed are way down. He really seems to be trading strikeouts for weak contact, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of fans talk about pitchers doing that, but it seems like that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Do you think that that's something that Degrom has consciously done, trading strikeouts for weak contact? You know what? You know, Rick Peterson used to talk about that all the time, and I hated when he did when he was the pitching coach. But after he was the pitching coach, and I was less of a lunatic, I actually sat down with Rick a couple of times and talked about that pitching to contact and 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 thinking about, you know, there's only so many pitches in an arm, you know, during the course of a game, during the course of a week, during the course of a season. Um, I can't prove that's what he's thinking about. But I think that, um, you know, there is a certain, there's probably a certain validity to it. Um, are the strikeouts really that important at the end of the day? An ounce and out, and it takes more pitches to get a strikeout than it does to, you know, if you have good location and you know how to work the corners and you know you have the scouting reports of a hitter, maybe it's better to kind of get them to, you know, to get that six-pitch inning rather than to get, you know, a 20-pitch inning where you have three strikeouts. So maybe he did make that conscious decision. I don't know because Dan, I don't even really, really know what Dan Worthen's philosophy is, um, other than the fact that Fred Wilpon really likes him. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, he taught everybody the slider and it broke all their arms. So, um, you know, I, I, I can't speak to it because I really don't know if this is Worthen talking to him, if this is the catcher talking to him, or if this is, you know, DeGrom basically saying, look, I need to get out and I need to get give my team length. And, you know, I think he's a smart enough guy and a veteran enough guy that he can make that kind of a decision. Now, we talked about two starts with DeGrom. We also have two starts with a couple of other pitchers, but unfortunately it's going in the opposite direction. And, of course, those two guys are Robert Gazelman and Zach Wheeler, and they've been lit up in their last two starts with uh, Wheeler going on the disabled list here today. Um, how do either of those guys turn their season around? Well, I, you know, I, I think Gazelman is Gazelman. <laughs> you know, I really don't have a tremendous amount of confidence in the guy. I mean, I don't dislike him. I think he's, I think he's a ham and egger. I don't really have a lot of. 
I mean, he pitched he pitched well, you know, last season. When he came up, he was getting smacked around in AAA, and it was a nice surprise that he was pitching well when he came up last year. But, uh, you know, he's okay. I, I, I'm not that shocked that he's, you know, he, it's not like he wasn't getting smacked around early in the season. He did settle down and have a couple, you know, string together a couple of good starts. But, you know, Gazelman's not a guy that I'm overly impressed with, so I'm not really that um, – I'm not really that analytical about him. As far as Wheeler's concerned, the guy hadn't pitched in two years. He was going to hit a wall at some point. I, I don't think we're going to see him again. If we do see him again, it'll be very limited. And, you know, there really would be no point, uh, you know, to throw him out there every fifth day at this point, um, at least uh, unless he's healthy. If he If he comes back. Uh, you know, from the from the bicep tendonitis, I believe that's what it, what he went on the DL for. If he comes back from that and he's healthy, there's no rush. You know, just let him throw. And again, you know, I I just don't have a lot of confidence in Warson. I don't have a lot of confidence in the in the Mets. You know, and and I just don't have a lot of confidence in the Mets overall now, especially with their you know their medical staff and the way that they handle injuries and the way that they're dealing with these guys. I'm almost hoping that we don't see them again because at this point, in my in my opinion, the season's over. I mean, I you know I'm a huge fan. I'll watch, still watch every inning of every game, uh, you know, even tonight. But um, you know, I, I I don't have a lot of I, I, I again, like I said, Gazelman to me, you know, I, he is what he is. You know, he's you know he's he's okay. And and as far as Wheeler's concerned, I hope we don't see much of him unless he's you know. Got a completely bill, you know, completely clean bill of health, and even then, you know, we're getting close to his innings limit anyway. So, how much more are we even going to see of him, even if he is healthy? So, yeah, I, I'd almost rather see Tyler Pill get a regular start uh, for the rest of the season, just to kind of evaluate if this guy could be in the plans for next year. He's Mark, and I'm Brian, and you're listening to me. 360 here on Block Talk Radio. We're talking about Robert Gesellman and Zach Wheeler and if they have any chance for turning their season around. Uh, Mark was saying that um, he, he pretty much didn't think so. He, he's thinking that this is a, uh, a lost season for, for both of them. And I think um, I, I agree with you on Wheeler. I think that this was pretty much uh, if, if somebody had allowed me to wager on this outcome, I, I certainly would have pitches for a little while and then hurts himself. I mean, I, I certainly would have put down uh, put down some cash on that one if given the opportunity. But Gazelman really surprised me. I, I had high hopes for him given what he did last year, and I thought he was going to be able to slot in at the back of the rotation and, and, and be a, a nice, consistent a guy to give you six, seven innings on a regular basis, and that just hasn't happened. And I'm almost wondering if he'd be better off moving in the bullpen for the rest of the year. Well, I'm one of those people that, you know, I've, I've been around, you know, I've been I've been watching the Mets for a long time, so I've seen philosophies come and go. Um, I, I've seen, you know, the the roles in the bullpen. I've seen matchups. I've seen, you know, uh, guys try to, you know, do different things like, um, you know, put your best reliever in the seventh and eighth inning. And, you know, I've seen them all. And when I look at Gazelman, I look at a guy that could be um, a throwback to that, the swingman type of pitcher. He doesn't seem to be affected by 
whether what you know he he doesn't seem to be affected by you know whether or not he gets knocked out in the second or third inning, and you know Joe Torre talked about this. I know Bobby Valentine believed in it. You got to have one guy's arm on your staff that you don't care about, that you throw out there constantly. Whether you know whether it's you know you have a four run lead or a four run deficit that can just eat up innings for your for your good pitchers, and you know I guess it's frowned upon now in this in this age of, you know, specialization and, and analytics and all this, um, you know, uh, you know, all the, all the sophisticated ways that they, you know, they do everything. But, you know, when it comes to, like, again, there's only so many innings per week that your rotation can throw. There's only so many times, I mean, not that Terry Collins doesn't try to, you know, break, break that, uh, philosophy every single week but there's only so many innings that your better relievers can throw um you know and so you have to have one or two guys on your staff that you know that you can depend on to throw a lot of innings and whether his name is Pat Mahomes or 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 Bobby Jones or uh Ramiro Mendoza you know the teams that are really successful have bullpens that have those guys that you know maybe not as specific as seven, eight, nine, but there are guys that say, "Look, okay, you know, it's the sixth inning. I got to throw this guy for a couple of innings and maybe even three innings." And it's funny, but everybody seemed to miss the last couple of outings by Montero. Uh, you know, he's he's I know he's everybody's nightmare, but see, Montero is the kind of guy that I think could turn into that guy. I think Gazelman could be that guy. Um, when you don't have a tremendous amount of talent in your bullpen, you look for different looks, different arm slots, different speeds, uh, any way that you can mix and match to get that bullpen to at least, if it's not going to be a shutdown bullpen, at least make it a bullpen that's constructed in such a way that you're not abusing your starting staff. Uh, and vice versa, when you have a starting staff that's struggling, be able to construct that bullpen in such a way that you're taking the pressure off of them and not using your better guys more than they have to be used. And at this point, the Mets are losing every other game, so what's the point of abusing you know, guys like Addison Reed and, 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 and those guys? So the very long answer to your very short question is that, yes, I think Gazelman could be that guy. Um, but I also think Montero can can be as well, and I think that you have to think about that um, as you go through the rest of the season uh, and start to stretch guys out, start to look at guys in different roles, because that's what the rest of the season should be about anyway, is assessment. One of the frustrating things of this season is, sure, we all thought that the starting pitchers were going to be able to go seven innings on a regular basis, and obviously that didn't happen. But it, it seems like the manager didn't adjust to that and kept trying to play matchups. And maybe you could have gotten away with playing matchups when you just had to pitch an inning or two a night. But when you consistently had to pitch four and five innings of relievers each night, you just couldn't play matchups. And I think it took two and a half months for them to realize that that was the case. And finally now we see guys go in two, three innings at a time, like Montero, uh, like uh, Neil Ramirez. And... Uh, Perhaps, uh, like you suggested, that would be the ideal role for Gazelman, too. But let's switch over and, and talk about some hitters, since we haven't talked about any hitters yet tonight. And uh, probably the most polarizing hitter on the Mets is uh, Wilmer Flores. Some people love him, some people hate him. What's your take on him and his place on the team moving forward? 
Well, I'm one of those guys that love them. <laughs> you know, I do. Uh, you know, I've I covered Wilmer in the minors. Uh, you know, I've always been a fan. He's a great kid. Um, I also think the Mets have handled him poorly. Uh, I thought Omar uh, Manaya's regime handled him poorly. I thought that, you know, when Sandy first came in, they handled him poorly. Uh, and I think that, you know, Terry, uh, as much as Terry loves him, I think Terry's handled him poorly. Um, I, when I look at Wilmer Flores, I see, and, you know, he doesn't look like him. Uh, he doesn't remind you of him physically, but I see Jeff Kent. Um, when Jeff Kent first came to the first came to the Mets, you know they tried to make him a third baseman. Then they moved him to second. Then they moved him back to, to third. And he didn't have the personality that Wilmer does. Wilmer has a veteran personality. I mean, he came up. You know, yes, he cried when they thought he traded him. But that's how much that guy loved being a Met. You know, he wanted to be a Met. So that's you know, that's why I think a lot of the love. He gets a lot of the love from the Mets fans because of that, because they feel that passion. They feel that, you know, he wants to be a Met. And let's be honest, how many guys have actually showed that kind of passion or showed that kind of love for being a New York Met? Um, I just think that, you know, I know he made the error on the throw by T.J. Rivera. It was a terrible throw, but Willem was not a first baseman, you know. Um, he's really not a third baseman. He's really not a shortstop. And I think that at the end of the day, he's really – if the Mets really, really believe in Wilmer and they want Wilmer to be a Met, you know, going forward, that they just put him at second base and leave him there. You know, Neil Walker's not coming back anytime soon. Just go, to, let him play second, leave him there. I know he's not great at turning the double play, but neither was Daniel Murphy, and we figured out a way to get to the World Series with a guy who wasn't really a good fielder and maybe had and, and was a net negative according to Gary Cohen. Um, I love Wilmer. I think they just have to determine. You know, one spot for him. He's not a utility guy. Uh, utility guys are usually guys that can actually play more than one position. Wilbur can't really play any of them. He's slow, but he's a good hitter. He's a, you know, he, he if, if he's given enough time to be productive, I think if he settled down at one position, then he would be more consistent of a hitter. Um, at the end of the day, though, I don't think that Alderson loves Wilmer Flores, and the minute that he can move him in a deal, he would. So. Um, I, I honestly don't think that Wilmer Flores is long for the New York Mets. Well, as as someone who feels pretty much the exact opposite about Flores that you do, uh, I would uh, I would welcome that because um, you know we've we've both watched quite a bit of baseball throughout our lives, and and I I admire Wilmer for his for his passion. Uh, you spoke about his uh, love for the Mets organization, and no one can deny that about him. And so all props to him for that, all props for him for his ability to hit left-handed pitching. But I think we have to face facts and be honest with, with what he is. And he can't play with a glove on his hand. I mean, he is the absolute worst third baseman I have ever seen in my life. Nobody on the major leagues throws like he does. I mean, his, his throws are, are absolutely horrible. And how they continue to play him at third base over and over again, I mean, it, it's mind-boggling. I mean, he has no business being on the left side of the infield. Maybe he can play on the right side. Maybe he'll only be um, as bad defensively as Murphy. But Murphy was, uh, his, his problem was, you know, he thought he was ten times better than he was. Wil, Wilmer's just bad. 
<laughs> I mean, I just don't see any other way to, to put it other than the fact that he's incapable of throwing and, and his fielding isn't all that great either. So, I mean, I think that if he could, if, if, if Earl Weaver was still managing, they should trade him to, to Baltimore and, and let Earl figure out how to play him as a, as, as a DH and a, a lefty masher, but uh, just not an NL guy. I'm sorry. Hey, you know, Brian, look, I mean, that's, that's what this, that's what the best part about baseball is. Um, that's something I talked about today is that it's, it's conversational. It's bucolic. It's, it's mythical. And, you know, when you try to, you know, break it down to, you know, this is what baseball's about, you know, whether it's sitting on a stoop and talking about your favorite players and arguing who's better and who's not better. Uh, this is why baseball is better than, in my opinion, any other sport. Um, because of these so many players on a team and so many different conversations that you can have and so many different, uh, you know, points of view that you can have on a player. I think we could all uh, agree that, you know, you know, whether you like Wilmer or I don't like Wilmer or vice versa, I, I think it's pretty obvious that he's not an everyday player right now. And until he gets to that level, you know, he's probably not going to, like I said, I, I just don't think he's long for the New York Mets. I don't think that, uh, you know, his biggest value is that he makes a very low salary right now. So the minute they have to pay him a little bit more, um, or or if another team wants him, I think that Sandy Olderson would jump at the chance, you know, to trade Wilmer. Well, let's uh, switch gears and then talk about a guy that I think everybody does love, and that's Michael Conforto. Everyone has such high hopes for him, and, and he had an extended stretch this year once he finally got uh, into the lineup where he was performing excellently. But the last little bit, he's been scuffling. And I want to know if you have any concerns about him maybe falling down the same path that he did after his hot start in 2016. I want his coaching staff gone. And I think Michael Conforto <laughs> will be fine. I really think I really think that the coaching staff just doesn't know what they have in this guy, and I think that they're just. I really do. I, I you know I know that people say that I, you know that I that I dwell on this and I dwell on it. But you know what? I mean, I don't I don't have a lot of hobbies, Brian. You know, I don't sail. I don't play golf. You know, I I really don't do. <laughs> I don't hike. I don't you know. Uh, I do, I, you know, I'm, I watch the Mets, you know, I listen to the Mets, I talk about the Mets, I write about the Mets, that's, that's what I do in my spare time. So, you know, to me, I care about wins, I care about losses. When the Mets aren't doing well, I want them to do well. So I, I, I always think about, well, what works and what doesn't work. I've never thought Terry Collins was a good manager. I thought he was a great minor league instructor. I think he's a great guy to have in your organization. I think he's a lovely guy. I think he's a lovely man. But he's a terrible manager who has no feel for the game as, it, as, as it's being played, does not trust kids, uh, you know, totally, overly depends on his, on his veterans. And that's why, you know, Conforto's, you know, season really has been up and down, even though, even though for most of it he's been very good when he was finally given the opportunity to hit. I mean, I think, we're, you know, he's a little banged up. I think that he's dealing with a, I think he's dealing with a bad streak, obviously. I also think that, you know, he's got a coaching staff that really can't help him. 
because now I you think just said something that I want to react to, and I don't want to get off on a on a rant on Terry Collins. But I mean, it, it's very interesting to me what you just said, in that he doesn't have feel, and that that's almost that, that, that's mind-boggling to me. The guy has managed over 1,900 games in the majors, and you said it. He doesn't have any feel, and and I would co-sign on that completely. And it, it's just utterly shocking to me how little feel he has for the game. He manages people great. He does great um, handling the the press. But in the dugout, between the white lines, just no feel. It's it's How does that happen? I mean, it, it, I, I, I could put my son, who doesn't watch any baseball at all, and have him manage 1,900 games, and I think he'd have more feel than Terry Collins. And I, I just don't get that. The guy's a baseball lifer. How does he have no feel? I uh, I, I, that's the $64,000 question, my friend. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, um, all right. Well, make, I, make I don't have crazy. the answer to that question for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I just right. don't. As, as long as we're crazy, we have a segment uh, each week where we make a crazy prediction. So I'm going to give you mine. I'm going to ask you to uh, weigh in on how crazy mine is and then, and then give me one of your own. Okay. So my crazy prediction is that when Matt Harvey returns from this latest injury, we're going to see a guy who puts up a sub 3.0 ERA the rest of the year. So how crazy is that, and what's your crazy prediction? I don't think it's crazy. I think that, you know, we've seen enough of Matt in his good starts this year um, before this latest flare-up. Um, I, I, you know, he... I don't get. I never got caught up in the Harvey Day stuff. So this other, you know, so the backlash uh, to me is kind of foolish. Is just as foolish as the Harvey Day stuff was. Um, to me, he's a pitcher on my team. I root for him to win. Um, I really don't care what he does otherwise. Uh, and I think in his good starts this year, we saw what you're predicting for him. And if he's healthy, I don't see any reason why. I don't think it's that crazy to think that he could do that. So I don't think that's so crazy. I think my prediction is going to be crazy, though, because I think right. Montero right is going – I think Rafael Montero is going to develop into a dependable bullpen arm over the second half of the season. But it depends on who the manager is and if they make a change. Because I don't think that Terry Collins is forward-thinking enough uh, – to start putting him out there on a regular basis and give him a feel for a certain inning or for a certain situation because he's just, he does every night is a mishmash of seven different points of view and how they do it and how they do, you know, how they figure out how they work these games from game to game. But that's my prediction. I think Montero is going to be a guy. I still say it, even with all the struggles and all the hate, this guy is reaching Doug Sisk proportions of hate. Um, (laughs) I think that there's a pitcher in there. And the guy that I covered for years, to me, he's just a guy that's going to figure it out. And I just hope he figures it out here. Well, that's always been my take on Montero. I was uh, a big backer of him coming up, and uh, I think that he's going to have to lead the organization to have success. I'm, I'm happy for the success that he's had in the, the lowest of low-leverage situations, but I think if he's ever going to be anything more than just a strictly mop-up man, it's going to have to come in a different organization. But I love the I, – I, so I think your prediction is crazy on the Mets, maybe not crazy if he was to go somewhere else. 
But on that note, uh, we are all out of time. Uh, our half hour just flew by, and I appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks for uh, for joining us tonight, and uh, everyone. Um, a programming note for next week: I believe uh, we're going to start 30 minutes later next week, so it'll be 11:30. So tune in then. Uh, we'll have uh, Metstradamus, John Coppinger on to to talk about the Mets again. Uh, this is Mark Healy from uh, Gotham Baseball. Mark, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Uh, it was a pleasure, Brian. Thanks, buddy, for having me on. All right, everyone, have a great night and. Uh, Catch the rest of the Mets Dodgers games. Oh, we're losing two to one now. Oh, isn't that great? <laughs> All right, on that happy note, uh, good night, everyone. Goodbye. Good night. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.